Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. Hey guys, I just got home and I spent a big chunk of the car ride crying in like a good way to myself. I've had a bit of trouble getting this episode out because this episode is about my understanding of mental illness and how that's changing. And I was listening to this conversation and getting so frustrated that I hadn't been able to explain myself very well. But I just spent my car ride listening to a podcast called Invisibilia which is one of my favorite podcasts and they have an episode called The Problem with the Solution and it's about mental illness but basically it looks at research story it's holy fuck it's just oh my god it's one of the it's one of the best episodes i've listened to in a fuck a really long time it's basically about how we treat mental illness or what i would just call like difference mentally and how that helps us to deal with it. And it basically comes to the idea that focusing on mental ill health or mental challenges as problems makes them worse, which is exactly what we talk about in this episode. But I was so frustrated that I couldn't express in a really cohesive, understanding way. and. I think because so much of this stuff I'm really, and I think I say this later, I'm really buffering on. I find it embarrassing to listen to myself as I'm gaining understanding. I think we recorded this episode maybe a month ago and already I feel like my opinions are out of date with how I feel now. So I suppose my understanding is really changing really quickly. Anyway, if you're interested in these kinds of topics I could not more highly suggest that episode it's Invisibilia podcast the episode called The Problem with the Solution and while you're here I want to mention that I'm starting a I suppose I don't have a proper word for it but I suppose it's a discussion group uh, in Melbourne for people to talk about these ideas talk about mental health mental difference um with other people in a way that is connected and meaningful and affirming and empowering and curious. And what was really great about just listening to that podcast was that it really affirmed a lot of things, which is that the research shows that normalizing these experiences is helpful, that being connected to other people is extremely helpful. And I've really found it I'm increasingly moving further towards those things and actually, to be honest, further away from more traditional kind of therapeutic models, which isn't to say that those don't work. It's just to say that 
it's it's about having choice and it's about having choice about how you can identify with these experiences and I think that that's really empowering anyway I hope you enjoy this episode it talks about a bunch of heavy stuff in there uh so just a heads up on that and thanks as always for listening it's really special to be able to share this with you guys I'm not on social media this month because I decided I needed a break but I am on email so if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with me just send me an email you can do that at contact at beinghonestwithmyex.com or you can email me honoreasley at gmail.com I'll see you guys next week thank you very much bye hello SJ hey I hear you have uh, had a big week okay um yes actually I had a really big yesterday yesterday we spoke about Oh my god. Yesterday we talked for like 2 hours. Yeah, and then I had so I I'm I'm working on this new podcast um starving artist about like how creatives make money or that's kind of it's like kind of broad, a bit broad, but that's where it's trying to come from. So I spent a bunch of yesterday contacting people to ask if I could interview them and it turns out that that process is like wow, that was such an uncomfortable process because uh reaching out to people to ask them for their time when you haven't made the thing yet is really uncomfortable i feel like it would have been more comfortable if you just emailed them instead of writing it on your body and then standing naked in front of their house oh 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 wow i did not think of that <laughs> well, my favorite thing is that there's going to be people listening to this being like that is strange because you do fucking weird things <laughs> I don't think... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> you can have that. So, yeah, no, I just realized that, like, the other thing is, like, to research people and to make sure that I'm, like, sending them emails that are respectful of them. It means that I research people a lot. And then it means that I'm just, like, spending my whole day researching all the other amazing things that everyone else has done. And... <laughs> It's usually not a good activity for me to do, but um, I've made myself a project where, like, that is one of the main activities. I feel like I've, I've grown a little bit as a person because I found a website and I was like, I should this, send this SJ. Wait, no, this will make her very unhappy. I will not send this to her. Oh, what was the, what was the website? It's a collection of how people got their start. So it's like, it's I can't remember what magazine it was. It was like Time or one of the online kind of magazine things and it was just like a collection of 50 different famous people's telling stories of how they got their break you know i think i've actually read that already all right like each one of the 50 people is a massive like 2000 word article yeah i think i've been through and, and read a couple of them if i'm thinking about the right the same one probably i can't imagine it's a super common thing but yeah i mean it depend it would depend at what at what moment i was in as to how well i would receive that yeah that uh, I function best on like as much information as possible. So like, unless it's something deeply depressing, tell me everything. And 
I've had to adapt to the fact that you do not function like that. So I was like, is this something that will definitely land well with SJ? I don't know. Not going to send it. I sent you a bunch of other links, but I didn't send you that one. Oh, yeah. Selective selective information load. Is that that link that you sent me this morning, the Neville Medora Guide to Problem Solving? Oh, how good is that? I've read it before. I actually have it already. Neville Medora is a... He's a copywriter and an entrepreneur and... Yeah, I suppose that kind of encompasses what he does. He's very much, like, his work really very much comes from a entrepreneur bro kind of a place, if that makes sense. Yeah. But a lot of, like, a lot of his stuff is, is still really good. I find it interesting, though, because every example, like, I've read a lot of his blogs and a lot of his articles and blah, blah, blah. I've never seen one example with a woman or one comment by a woman. Does that make sense? Really? Yeah. I I was yeah, actually I was actually going to email him about it the other day. Not in a like what the fuck, man, in a, in a like, hey, you know, I've followed your stuff for a while and I've noticed that like I've never seen you cuz he puts a lot of people's comments and ideas inside of his posts and stuff. And I've never seen him feature one by a woman and I've never seen him get feed like include any words by a woman. And I'm like, surely this has got a lot to do with the fact that there's not many women following your stuff. And I can tell because I've read a lot of the comments because I was like, isn't this interesting? But I wanted to ask him because I was like, look, you're a smart dude. Like what? I'm curious about what you think about this. Yeah. Is that something that you think about in terms of your, your work? Me or, or is that you talking to him? Not, not you personally, but that's what I want to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I haven't read much. Like, I've read bits and bobs of his stuff, and I've only noticed him talking about himself or companies. Like, I've never heard him talking about people, so I, I've, I've never seen an opportunity for him to talk about people. He often, in his posts, will include, like, screen caps of people's suggestions or comments of, like, here's what this person thought, here's what this person thought. So I, I, I just went to his website, and going back to the start of the year, he only has two guest writers. One is a man and one is a woman. All right. Huh. Uh, on the front page. I didn't go past the front page. That's interesting. Hmm. Maybe you're woman blind. Maybe I'm woman blind. Well, I, I don't feel like... <laughs> I feel like I like haven't looked at his whole website. Just whenever I get content from him, because I'm subscribed to his newsletter, I've been like, huh, I wonder whether women's going to show up. And then I, I like I haven't, I haven't noted one. The podcast that you're working on, Starving Artist... I noticed, I didn't comment on it when we were chatting about it, but I noticed that... All of the people that I'm interviewing are women? Yeah, uh, except for me and maybe one or two comedians that were on your list. Everyone else is a woman. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was cool. I thought it was interesting. One thing, though, is that... So I wrote a big old wish list where I was like, here's like all the people that I can think of that I might that I might want to talk to. And I put them really roughly into different categories of like people that I think that I could really comfortably approach now, people that I think that I could comfortably approach later once I've started more and people that like I would, these would be like my dream people to be able to talk to. And I noticed on that, that like, as it went up in ability to get the person, there was less women. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, the ratio of women at the bottom was like there was heaps of women and then at the top of like the people that I'd really want to talk to that would be really difficult to get was there was way less women I think there was still probably majority women but like way less 
Right. I didn't know many of the people at the top of the list. Uh, so the ones that I can recall are Tavi Gevinson, Amanda Palmer, and Tim Minchin. Yeah, I just really noticed. And, and you see that a lot in terms of the arts in general, particularly if I'm thinking about fine arts. Like I went to art school and there's a huge majority of women. And this is, of course, going with, you know, like a really distinct gender binary mainstream so there's this isn't even counting people who exist outside of that but there was a really big majority of women and yet when you look at like the big art shows that majority definitely doesn't follow through does that make sense yeah as in you you don't go to arts festivals and notice that there's a majority of women that's actually usually isn't i'm more familiar with it in theater and theatre is another situation where it's majority female, but the majority of roles are male. Ah, oh, man, that's super annoying. And ditto acting. So uh, if, if you want to be an actor, it's, I mean, arguably it's easier to be a man in most positions, but if, you, if you're an actor, then most roles, something like 70 to 90% of speaking roles in film, TV and theatre are men, and something like 70% of aspiring actors are women. Wow, that's really depressing. So yeah, now my advice to people out there is be born male. It's just, God, it makes life easier. It's so good. I really recommend it. <laughs> oh, you're a fuckhead. I don't know what you were thinking, SJ. <laughs> you really fucked up. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, you missed. Yeah, I totally just missed. I just got way too many. No, I didn't get a Y chromosome. That's where it's at. Is that the thing that I would need? Y for winner. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so there's actually something that I want to talk to you about, which is unrelated to everything that we've just discussed. But um, I'm trying to decide whether to go back to therapy. What does that mean? So that's actually sort of a misleading way of putting it. But I, because I still see a psychologist and I still see a psychiatrist. Um, but I used to do a program and we've talked about this on a previous episode. I think it's called getting therapy with my ex. Is that one? I want to be all impressive and be like, that's right. Episode nine, but I have no idea what episode it is. <laughs> um, we talked about it in a previous episode where I was talking about how I had just finished a year long, quite intense therapy program called dialectical behavior therapy which was like a day and a half a week and yeah, it was a year long. So it was a lot of time. Oh yeah, that's right. We discussed that in episode four, getting therapy with my ex. Uh, I just remembered off the top of my head, uh, it's episode four. <laughs> just remembered. Perfect. So you can actually do a graduate program, which I think we talked about in episode four. So it's kind of like the advanced level of that same program and... It's like one day a week. And anyone who's listened to the show like consistently will know that I've had like the particularly the first three, four months, five months, I don't know, of this year were like increasingly not so good. Rough months. I was gonna use the word deteriorate, but I actually really don't like that when I think about using that word to describe myself, I just it makes me want to... It makes me feel out of control. You've had a bit of a bad run. 
yeah so i had a bad time and then i was like man i need to freaking do something about this so then i've been looking at oh should i go do this graduate program again but my views on mental illness mental health mental distress and help have changed a lot in the past six months and that's partially why you want to do this episode as well oh yeah that's also because because my views have changed so much and that's also why now i actually find going to see my psychologist going to see my psychiatrist actually a bit traumatic okay and that sounds like overly dramatic but i'm trying to think of the best way to explain this so basically i've been thinking a lot about how how we deal with mental illness or mental distress or these kind of experiences what that does for how a person relates to themselves and what that does for someone's self-esteem and i feel like i should put in that i don't think there's a right way to approach this Um, and people have like all different opinions for some people having a diagnosis is like really something that gives them a lot of relief and that really helps them to like understand their life and their experiences in a way that's really helpful but I'm increasingly feeling like basically the opposite of that that there's this intense othering that goes on and that it creates this like psychodrama that I can't quite unpick. Does that make sense? I've been thinking a lot about, since since the episode that we did where I discussed the way that I argue things and the logical kind of approach that I try to take to the world, listening to that was really interesting to me because I realised at the end of it, you hopefully had a much better understanding of how I process moral choices and I ended that with really no insight into the way that you process moral choices. Hmm. except that it seemed to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the the, conc- the only conclusion that I could reach is that you try to work out moral choices based on whether or not you feel guilty. I work out moral choices based on whether or not I feel guilty. That's what it seemed like, and I'm not saying that's correct, but that was the only conclusion I could draw from that episode. Uh, sure. I'm curious as to how this relates. Well, I mean, uh, so, I mean... First of all, do you, do you agree with that, or is that totally inaccurate? Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I would probably have to think about it. I find it a little bit alarming that you don't know how you work out moral choices, but moving on from that, the reason I bring it up is because just say that is how you do it. Just say you're like, I feel bad, therefore I know I did something bad. Well, like, shame is like the emotion of morality. That's like, you did a bad thing, that's why you feel like this. So that emotion is coming from your moral compass. So like it, uh, it does make sense that you would use that. And so the reason I bring it up is that I can only speak if I were you, but if I were you and I was using shame as my moral compass and then got any kind of diagnosis that said, hey, by the way, to a certain extent, your brain chemistry is not one-to-one with what's actually going on in your life. There will be days when you feel like utter crap. Like, not not just feel bad, but like life feels absolutely devastating regardless of what life is doing. In that situation, I'd find a diagnosis really helpful. Yeah. And I, I bring that up because I am uh, one of those awful people who's a little bit self-diagnosed. But a few people told me, hey, Peter, you have some... 
you seem like you're on the autism spectrum. And I did a bunch of reading and I was like, oh, when I get unreasonably angry about people being wrong about something, that is not like that is not a nice response. That is not a response that I can necessarily trust. I can't be like, I'm really angry about this. Therefore, this is something to be really angry about. I was like, okay, when I get really angry about someone being incorrect, I need to take a step back and be like, hey, don't necessarily trust that emotion. If I was the kind of person who lived my life based on, I feel this emotion, therefore this, then I can imagine getting a diagnosis would be super helpful because then I could go, hey, I feel like this relationship is crap or I feel like I'm crap. That doesn't actually mean that I'm doing stuff that makes me crap. That is just my brain telling me stuff that is not necessarily true. But without that diagnosis, I'd find it really hard to disconnect myself from the emotions in that way that I find really helpful. But like, I think that that's a self-reflective thing, activity, mindfulness, awareness that I think everyone should have. Like, I don't think that that's something that should be exclusive to people who are mentally ill. No, but I think it should definitely be emphasised with people who have mental health problems because if I wake up every day and I'm like, I hate my life, normally, and I say normally as in uh, neuroling, neuro, what's the word, neurotypical? In neurotypical people, is that an offensive term? Um, I don't actually know. <laughs> so if I wake up every day and think I hate my life, neurotypically, that's a sign that I need to drastically change parts of my life. If I have mental health issues and I wake up every day being like, I hate my life, that doesn't actually mean I should divorce my wife or break up with my boyfriend or quit my job. It could just be like those things are actually going well and good for me, but my brain chemistry is misaligned in a way that, you know, quitting those things is not going to be helpful. It's not going to make me feel better. And so that kind of diagnosis can be hugely life-changing, yeah. more so for people who have mental health problems than people who, who don't struggle with mental health issues. So you weren't really privy to this aspect of my life um, because we broke up while it was happening. But when we were together, just at the end of our relationship, I got a diagnosis of uh, borderline personality disorder. You may remember this. <laughs> <laughs> and I then spent the next, like I read everything about it. Um, I started taking some new drugs and I was recommended for this program and I was like, oh shit, I have an answer. Like I have the answer. I've just always been waiting for the answer. And there was like a few other diagnoses flying around of like maybe you have bipolar or blah, 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 blah. And so for I think a month, I was like, I've got the answer. I've, got the I've been waiting for years, like years and years for someone to give me the answer. Someone finally gave me the answer and told me what I should do. And now it's gonna be like, it's gonna be fine. But then what happened was slowly, I just started seeing like, there's this thing that happens where you start seeing your experiences as symptoms. So like, there's no way of not seeing your behavior, all of your, f this is my personal experience, but like I couldn't stop seeing all of my behavior, all of my thoughts, all of my actions as symptoms or lack of symptoms. And that meant that like my life felt completely out of my control. Right. In this way that was really, really scary and unhelpful. And that's like, 
I feel like that's a really big reason why I ended up in hospital. I just deteriorated, deteriorated, there's that word again, for like, I don't know, like six, six or so months. Right, but hinging everything upon any one event is a bad idea no matter what your life is like. And you see it a lot with a lot of people who are like, I will be happy if I get a girlfriend. And then they get a girlfriend and they're not happy. Or I will be happy if I can sell my book. And they sell their book and they're not happy. You know, saying, I have got this diagnosis, therefore this explains everything is just a bad idea. I'm saying I would personally find a diagnosis a really handy filter through which I could examine my life. Which is not to say the only filter or... Now that I have this, everything makes sense. But I, I, yeah, I, I, as I said, I function best on as much information as possible. And so if my brain is not reacting to stimulus in a typical way, in a way that doesn't make sense, that is absolutely something I want to know. In the same way as if I'm flying a fighter jet, I don't want to learn at the end of my trip that, hey, by the way, one of the cameras is upside down. That's really useful to know before I start flying, not after. But I think that, I think that my responses make sense. Right, but one one of the big things that uh, I think you will acknowledge that you do and, and was part of your diagnosis is that you tend to catastrophize things. And so just being aware of that, I see is super helpful because suddenly, you know, when you, I was about to use an example from a relationship, uh, when you lose your phone, and you go, this feels like the... <laughs> when you lose your phone and you go, this feels like the end of the world, I would find it really helpful to be like, hey, I have a condition where I tend to catastrophize things. Therefore, this is not the end of the world. And you could go too yeah. far with that. You could be like, therefore, my reaction is invalid and nothing matters and I can't trust anything. Or you could be like, hey, I am feeling like this is the end of the world. This is not the end of the world. And just knowing that would give me, Peter, a little bit of comfort. Yeah, I suppose I just feel like so much of that stuff is is applicable to, like, everybody. Okay, but that doesn't mean it's not applicable to you. No, I'm not saying that it's not applicable. I'm just saying putting it under an illness framework feels, in some ways, deeply unfair. Does that make sense? It would make sense if anyone was doing this. You were saying, I don't think diagnoses are necessarily helpful. And I'm saying, I think they are because they give you more information to filter. And you're like, well, that happens with everyone. Yes. <laughs> Similarly, if I gave you food and you threw it out and you were like, everyone should have food. If everyone does have food, like don't throw yours out. For... I don't I don't understand the point you're making. No, I'm just, I'm not saying that those things aren't helpful. I'm just saying like, um. Do you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> what? Hashtag all lives matter. Uh. Sure. I don't know what that means. So in the wake of the Ferguson shootings and various other shootings, these hashtags started appearing, which were Black Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah. To say, you know, hey, let's let's not let's not ignore the death of black people. And so white people predominantly started replying with all lives matter. Don't just say black people lives matter. All lives matter. I'm saying these diagnoses are really helpful. I would find them really helpful. And you're saying, yes, but you know, they'd be helpful for everyone, not just me, which is like saying black lives matter. Yes, but all lives matter. Like you're arguing a case. That... I'm saying, okay. <laughs> I'm Like I've said before, some people 
and I totally relate to that, find diagnosis really helpful. You sound like you might be one of those people. What I'm saying is that there's also a bunch of people, and I would put myself in this other camp, where um, diagnosis has like, diagnosis and treatment has an iatrogenic outcome. What's that word mean? Iatrogenesis is, I said it and I, I, I felt really smart when I said it. Um, so iatrogenesis is when the treatment creates, the treatment is harmful. Does that make sense? It makes sense. The reason I'm arguing this is because you've not explained why the treatment is harmful. You've explained why the treatment is helpful for everyone, which seems to be the opposite of the point that you're making. Yeah. So, well, I think that a lot of the things that you learn in therapy and in psychologists and in psychology is helpful to everyone. I think that kind of awareness about <laughs> thoughts and blah, blah, blah. I think that's all really helpful. But the idea that you're the, you get it because you are some, some like, because you are defunct is this like, well, why, like, why am I the only person that needs this? There must be something really wrong with me. But at the same time, all of these processes make huge amounts of sense, like for anyone to engage with. They absolutely do. The reason, I mean, if, you know, everyone needs food, but when you go to a food bank to get food, you don't be like, ah, why am I getting this food when everyone needs it? you are the one getting it because you have gone to the place to get that help. <laughs> like, yes, you're absolutely right. This this kind of proce thought process is helpful for everyone. But most people aren't getting it because they're not seeking help. If you're seeking help and getting help, you can't be like, why am I the one getting help? I'm just the person seeking it. But I feel like the process... <laughs> like, I, 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 I didn't... I didn't mean to attack you or make you cry. I do want to hear why you don't like the process, but so far you, your entire argument has not been the process is bad for these reasons. It's been the process is helpful for everyone. I don't have my camera on, so I don't know if you've disappeared or... Hello? Hi. Sorry, I just had to leave. You, you need to... T <laughs> we don't have a camera on, so you need to tell me when you're leaving. So we're agreed that ideally everyone would go through this process, but your argument is that it's not necessarily helpful. And I want to know why. My argument is that I feel like I can only speak from my experience, but that the process of, um, the process of being inside the mental health services creates this real othering. And there's this, like, I, f I feel like this is, like, I'm, like, really still buffering on a lot of my views about this. But if you, it, it's kind of interesting, this thing that if you, if you go, like, the illness aspect of that, I think, really changes how I identify with myself, how I identify with my experiences in a way that isn't helpful for me. And then the process of going to um, get help, like there's some ways in which like it's just really clearly sort of like... Unhealthy? Can, like kind of fucked. Like when I was in 
um, when I was in hospital, like I really expected, particularly considering um, the fact that the, the hospital that I went to was like, it was a private hospital. It, it, it was, you know, like it was like one of the best hospitals, whatever. Um, and I know that people have different experiences in different places. I don't have, I don't have real experiences of the public system. I, I, I really expected people to be like, oh, wow, you are in crisis. How do we help you out? But when I got there, I just got the feeling that like no one gave a fuck. Like my family did. Like it was a job for them. Um, like, and, um, yeah, which I, like, I get that they, people, obviously not everyone was like this, but, you know, people who have those roles, um, who work in those kind of places become sort of like desensitized. Yeah. But you have to, um, like it made me feel like the whole environment made me feel like worse. Particularly when, like, the, the, the first um, nurse who I spoke to was, like, saying that I shouldn't tell any of anyone else what my diagnosis was. And I was like, oh, you mean, like, other, other you know, patients or whatever, other people who are in here? And she's like, oh, no, I mean the staff. If you tell the staff what your diagnosis is, they will treat you worse. And I was like, well, that's really fucked. Yeah, it's it's such a tricky area. Like, I I, I, I empathise with you, but I'm simultaneously and trying also, to... When I was like, hey, uh, she, she was like, this is the intake nurse, was like, hey, um, like, do you, do you self-harm or whatever? And I was like, yes. And she was like, show me. And she was like, yeah, well, if you do that in here, we will send you to public hospital. And... Like, I understand, like, just, I think that's such a deeply inhumane way of, like, like, threatening people. Like, I think that's so fucked. I mean, what, w- what would you prefer? What would you suggest? I want, like, what I expected was, I expected, like, and I've, I have a, I have a friend who says the same thing um like I expected like a hug if that makes sense like I know that sounds stupid and I don't mean an actual hug but I mean um I expected that when I went there there would be a an acknowledgement that like oh wow you're here um you've never You've never been here before. Um, you must be in a really bad place. Like, how how can we support you? Um, Do you think that would be effective? There wasn't to say that there wasn't a couple of people like that, but I felt very, very alone. Yeah. And terrified. That really sucks. And the place made me feel like 
more like more crazy and um yeah and and dismissed I remember talking to uh I remember talking to a nurse and she was like you know like what's like what's your problem and I kind of just like spoke about some of my existential life worries and um she was like oh you're one of those people that thinks too much and I was like like I think I I think I laughed at the time maybe because I think she had a Scottish accent and she went on some rant about um not a rant she's just like life is about having a job having a family going to see some parts of the world and travel and 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 you know that's it it's simple and like there was just like that's a fine way to view the world but it it wasn't really um very helpful and yeah. uh i like i just felt like i had no one to talk to who actually worked there like i had a number of really amazing friends and family who came and visited but the actual place yeah maybe do you think it's do you think it's a a budgetary thing or a approach thing so i think a big part of it is an is actually an approach thing they have um there's actually other alternatives so there's places like parks which i didn't know about at the time but i would have much preferred to go to a park is a prevention and recovery center and they have a few of them um and it's it's basically like a place where you can go and stay and they have group programs there but there's you can leave at any point um and there's always someone to like there's always someone to talk to but it that sounds better to me yeah in terms of like it's less it's less othering if that makes sense and less yeah, like absolutely. we need to make sure like we need to keep you under control but then there's also other places, I think it's called Sartoria, is a type of, I think it's been used a lot in, with psychosis, with people experiencing psychosis in the States, I mean, information might be wrong, but like crisis centers that are completely peer run, so that actually don't follow the medical model at all. It's not to say that people don't use meds or whatever, but the focus isn't on like a medical approach getting you out the door uh i did i was doing training last i was delivering training last week and i met a woman who started up her own like peer completely out of her and her community's um energy and resources a crisis center a crisis phone line counseling but not counseling that's all like completely peer run where they've taken in like whole families when they're in crisis yeah does that make sense to like help them through a period like i wanted to feel connected i just finished watching through community so the only uh the thought running through my head is like a community college but for mental health instead of higher education yeah yeah and there's a lot of like stories of people setting up peer communities so peer is like people with lived experience or whatever um, that have been really helpful. I've actually been thinking about that a lot recently and um, whether I could do that. But that 
that whole I just feel like what I want is someone at the same level who understands and is motivated to find their way through the experience as well. Do you think going back to therapy would be helpful with that? Well, and this is to bring it back around, which is the initial question of should I go back to therapy? Um, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but at the moment, every time I leave any therapeutic relationship, I feel worse. As in an individual session? Yeah, and I understand that often when you go and do therapy, you might end up feeling worse at the end. But I feel like... So there's this weird thing that happens when you go to therapy where you have to kind of turn up with a problem. Yeah. But you've scheduled the 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 appointment maybe a month in advance and maybe you might see someone every week and every week you go there specifically to talk about your problem. Like it means that you have to have focus on problems. Not always. I mean, it depends on who you're seeing and how your relationship works. But at the moment I'm finding, particularly with, with one person that I see, every time I go, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I actually just want to talk about this thing. And they're like, oh, we need to really focus on your deep-rooted sense of shame. And I'm like, wow, I did not really want to unpack that. Have you talked to them about that? Yeah, I've talked to them about the fact that when I go, I feel like I feel... I feel worse and that um, this whole, the process of going to therapy, I find um, quite difficult at the moment because it's like a dedication to a set of ideas around my experiences that I don't necessarily think are completely healthy, like completely helpful for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does any of this make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't have any useful opinions. <laughs> uh, in your shoes, I would try two months not seeing my therapist and see if I feel better at the end of that. Well, just at the moment, I'm like, well, I really, I have to make a decision about whether I'm going to do this graduate program. It's one day a week? Yeah. And I'm like, but if I go, then <laughs> like, will it just feel awful? <laughs> I mean, can you go and if you're not enjoying it, stop going? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a big um, financial investment to um, stop going. How much? I can't remember. It's like... Uh, uh, Ball, ballpark figure. Um, pri- you need private health insurance. And you, I think that's about... I think now it's about 200 uh something dollars a month maybe a bit more and you need to have had health insurance for several months before the program starts does that make sense there's a waiting period yeah so you're not on private health insurance now no but if i want to start this program in september then i need to get private health insurance by the end of june it's currently the 17th of june um i mean I, like yeah the question is just do you think you would get enough out of it for it to be worth the time cost and the money cost and the emotional cost honestly 
what I want instead is a peer group. Is that something you could look web? You could spend the same amount of time and, and even money into investigating. So I think the kind of peer group I would want doesn't exist yet, but I've been thinking seriously about creating it. If that makes sense. I spent the last two days watching TV straight. So I just, uh, I just had a really rough week. And so I took two days off and just watched through all of community and the last three seasons of community so i'm sort of like sitting here being like is this the point where i should make a big speech that solves all the problems because i don't think that's possible oh is that what happens in community yeah it's a sitcom so every episode you know at the end someone makes a big speech and everyone like learns a lesson and there's an answer which is useful and applicable and in this case there just isn't like you can try the course and possibly lose a bunch of money you can not try the course and possibly spiral you can stop seeing your therapist and possibly be happier you can keep seeing your therapist and possibly be happier you can put a bunch of hours and hours and hours into trying to find a new therapist you can you know cease your your career to try to build this emotional group that might never work or it might go on to be the best thing that's ever happened to you there's just absolutely no way of knowing Oh, I wasn't thinking about ceasing my career to, like, start a peer group. I was like, oh, I could just start a group with people who'd be interested in talking about this and we'd meet up once a month. I don't know. It seems to me like it would be a bunch of time and effort that you would otherwise be putting into creative works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's not something that I can be super helpful with because I have no experience in any of these areas at all. Uh, all I can do is advise that you do the thing that you think will be best for you, which is vague enough to be totally useless. And, <laughs> like, I, I wish I could be more helpful. I could be like, look, SJ, from what you said, it's really obvious that this is the solution. You need to do X, Y, Z, yeah. But there's just a billion thing. you know, there's, there's a... A billion possibilities, none of which from here look any better than any of the others, other than probably don't go back to that hospital. Yeah, I don't want to do that. And I don't know, like, you know a million times more than I do about this, and you know yourself way better than I know you, and so my only advice would be try shit and then see if any of it works, but I don't know. (laughs) I'm genuinely, my brain is like whirring, trying to be like, what's the correct solution here? Because I have a problem-solving kind of brain. And they're just, this is obvious, but there just absolutely isn't a correct solution at all. Life is a big tangled mess, and you kind of just pick a thread and, and follow that along until it ends, or you're like, oh, I actually hate this thread, and then you jump onto another one. And in this case, I'm looking at a ball, a ball of red yarn and being like, it all looks red to me. I have genuinely no idea what you should do. <laughs> it's not super helpful it's not particularly uplifting or educational it's just do something i guess sure like if if you knew the answer do you, do you know what the solution is that i want you want someone else to be like here is the correct answer no 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 i want someone else to organize the group that i can go to yeah it doesn't doesn't work like that <laughs> i know it doesn't work I mean, like that of, often the fact that you want this thing to exist but is a good sign that it should. Uh, the best board games I've ever designed are the ones where I was like, ah, I really want this in a game, and then made it. Christopher's best-selling game and one of the best-selling games ever is Sentinels of the Multiverse, and it was genuinely him being like, yeah. I play a lot of games, and I want to play this one. So he sat down and made that game. 
and so I you know I want there to be games that parents can play with their kids I want there to be audio sitcoms I want there to be a podcast where a guy and his ex or a girl and her ex talk every week about shit and they don't exist and so I was like well clearly the solution is to make these things uh, however I also really wanted a live monthly panel show <laughs> I wanted Australia to have like panel shows about stuff that I was interested in and it turns out no one else wanted that so it's not 100% reliable well but... you can't do all of the things as well yeah and so you gotta look at the world and be like what do I mo- most want to exist that no one else is doing and follow that and that is quite often the path to success however you define it yeah so in your shoes the fact that you're looking at this course and not being like i think this would be helpful and the fact that this is the second time we've had to be like would this actually be helpful would suggest to me that maybe it's not ideal i, I feel like to a certain extent you're being like ah it's not ideal but this is the best thing it's the voting for hillary because you don't want trump to get in rather than because you believe in what clinton actually wants <laughs> And so if you genuinely believe like, look here, I'm, rather than taking the worst case of these two scenarios, I'm going to try to make my own best case scenario. Just like I said in episode four, if you're wrong, this is not irrevocable. Yeah. I want to say unless I die and then I also don't want to say that, but that's what my brain thinks. Do, do you think that's a realistic risk? Depends which day you ask me. I mean... I, I, I don't think that you're going to die. That doesn't seem to me like a realistic risk, but I also do not live inside your brain. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if your ideal situation is this peer group existing and you have the possibility of making that exist, then I guess my advice would be try to create the ideal situation because all of the less ideal situations will still exist if this one doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that's true. I suppose the other thing that I'm thinking of is how do you make this thing happen without, like, making it a big thing? Does that make sense? No. Like, how do you make a peer group, a monthly meetup or whatever, that doesn't have to have, doesn't have to have bells and whistles, doesn't have to have, like, you know, it doesn't have to have heaps of fancy shit, doesn't need a board, doesn't need anything like that. Do you have ten friends who'd be interested in I reckon I could I could find some, but even if there was only three people, I feel like that would also be okay. Well, then, yeah, that, that sounds really easy. Um, the way that I've always done things is this, is... this is something that's happened on at least three or four separate occasions now, is I've gone, I want this thing to exist. So I've created the thing with a small group of people, and then as it's grown, I've handed the reins over to someone else, and then as soon as I step away, it's died. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that being a thing. So I would suggest to you, do this on a small scale. If it gets to the point where it needs a board, where it needs someone running it, either A, monetize it, or B, step away from it. And if you step away from it and it continues to grow without you, then great, you've made something that's ongoing, made the world better. Yeah. If you step away and it dies, then the world's in the same situation as it was before you started this thing, except that you've gotten a few good months out of it. Uh, But yeah, as soon as it grows to the point where you're like, I do not want to manage this anymore, stop managing it. Be like, hey, everyone, if this is really important to you and you want this to continue existing, it's on you now. Who wants to step up as the new leader? Uh, I ran a Facebook group called Engraved Paint for about three years, and it was literally just me posting funny pictures. I used to post them on my Facebook wall, funny pictures, ha ha ha. People would start to like 
share them with their friends and I got a bunch of followers and stuff from that. So I made a group called Engraved Paint. And for three years, I ran this group trying to grow it and did do a really good job. Like this was early Facebook and it grew super fast. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm bored of running this. Handed it over and it's still running. Like it, it's about, I don't know, a third the size it was when I left, but it's still going and people are still enjoying it. And I occasionally get notifications from people being like, hey, this is continuing. And I met some really cool people through it. And it's a thing that I'm glad I did. And then I stepped away and it continues to add joy to people's lives, but it, it literally takes up 0% of my day. Yeah. Conversely, if there'd been some way of turning that into a job, I would have been like, okay, I'm going to keep running this, but I need money now. And that might be the direction that this thing goes. But yeah, my, my advice, I've got advice now. I didn't five minutes ago. <laughs> my advice <laughs> is do, create your ideal situation. And there's one of my favorite quotes of all time is from The Office season two or three. Uh, Jan, who's like Michael's boss, says, there's always a reason not to do something. Yes, that is true. So like, you can very easily talk yourself out of this because there's always going to be a reason not to do it. But if you think this is a good idea and you think no one else will do it, and if you think it'll significantly improve your your life, which it sounds like it will because it's not going to cost you $200 a month for the months leading up and then a day a week for something you're not really that into but could provide a greater benefit, I would thoroughly recommend doing it. If your concern is, but what if it gets too big or whatever, like, I don't think those are helpful concerns at this stage. I would do it as long as... The, yeah, I don't think so. As long as the going's good and then stop when the going stops being good. But this is funny because this is like almost exactly the opposite of what you said five minutes ago. How? You were like, oh, but you don't want to do that because then they'll take up lots of time and then you can't, that you could commit to other things. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like trying to poke holes in what you're saying. I just find it interesting. Yeah. But it sounds like when you said that your ideal situation was this group existing, that's when I went, oh, I thought this was just like an equally good option. Yeah. 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 So yeah, my advice to you would be to make this group that you want to happen. And like, if it's only three other people, Jesus, I could do that in my sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of it like, you know, Amanda Palmer's ninja gigs. Yeah. So Amanda Palmer does ninja gigs where she just posts on Twitter, I'm going to play a show here, and they're always free. And, you know, sometimes there's thousands of people, and sometimes she said there was one time where she was expecting a lot of people, and there was, like, seven. And and it was awesome. I think they were on the beach all night, built a fire, and were just, like, doing campfire songs. Like, it's not bad if there's less people. It's just different. The only concern I would have is if one other person rocks up and you don't like that person. <laughs> well, that would be interesting too. <laughs> it would be interesting once. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that's been helpful. I'm sorry if I was unhelpful. No, that was good. I feel like I didn't properly explain myself in terms of like how I feel about mental illness and the mental health care system. I feel like I could do that better, but maybe another time. This week, we have a surprise outro. Oh yeah, we do which means that someone sent this to you and you've listened to it, but I have not. Yes, that is correct. Thanks for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review, and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite son. (laughs) And I, I, oh man, I feel bad about this. I have no idea who that is. You know what? I just realized... Because I called it, because I called it surprise outro, I can't remember either, which is also <laughs> really awful. Can you can you look it up? 
I feel like this is going to be really <laughs> insulting to the person who took the time to send it in. I'm looking it up right now. Is it Maya? No, it's from Stephanie. Oh, it's from Stephanie! Okay, I know Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie is my New York friend. Oh, cool! Oh, right! Stephanie I met at a board game meetup in New York and got very drunk and tried very hard to take her home. Oh, wow. Not like in an aggressive way, but in a like, hey, you should definitely go home with me. And she was like, dude, my boyfriend is literally sitting right next to you right now. Nice. I don't drink much. <laughs> and yeah, we've kept in touch. Stephanie is super cool. And that was very lovely. Thank you, Stephanie, for doing that outro. Thanks, Stephanie. Uh, that is actually one of the last outros that we have. So if you've ever been, you know, on the fence about sending in an outro, get one into us because we are keen to hear your voice and check out our mailing list. Our mailing list comes out every week with the new podcast. It comes out like four days after the new podcast, but it does come out every week with a link to the new podcast, some behind the scenes notes, a podcast recommendation and other cool content. So you just head to beinghonestwithmax.com and hit mailing list. Anything you want to promote? Um, I might make a peer group if anyone wants to um, be in on that. Um, send me an email. We'll talk about stuff. <laughs> That's so authoritative. Yeah. It's such a strong opinion on that. Such a strong... <laughs> send me I really an know email. my shit. Very yeah. professional. Send if me you're interested... <laughs> In being in a peer group with SJ, just send her a photo of your penis. That's honoreastly at gmail.com. Only <laughs> pictures of penis will be accepted. That's the only way to get into her super cool peer group. It's the it's the entry, price of entry, one dick pic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the initiation, right? I, that, that's all I have. <laughs> that's all I have either. I, that's all I have. I don't have anything else to say. Okay, well, uh, it was lovely talking to you, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. So I just wanted to quickly say that, yes, I have decided to do the peer group. I mentioned it at the start, if you are in Melbourne and you want to be involved and you want to come along, send me an email, honoreasley at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. We're going to do one hopefully near the end of July and then hopefully another one at the end of August. That's what we're planning so far. I'm actually really excited to see what comes of it and I'm slightly terrified but what I think is helpful is I'm not approaching it like I'm an expert or gonna like fix anything it's just an opportunity to make the thing that I want and hopefully a thing that other people want and I should update that I decided not to do that program Part of it was actually in the end that I had an interaction with them. I called up to try and work out about getting in the program and I was told that I would need to do another assessment, which was news to me. And when I, okay, I tried to ask whether I would be able to do the assessment over the phone. You know, tried to explain my situation that um, it takes me about an hour to get there, an hour back and... I work from home, so when I'm not at work, I'm doing other work. <laughs> um, and because I now work in the mental health system, I try to make sure that the people that I see or the people that I'm working with have self-determination and choice. And then if they don't have choice, 
they at least have an explanation of why something is that way. And this interaction that I had, I didn't get choice, which again is not necessarily the end of the line, but I did not get a satisfactory explanation. I got a that's policy. And in my work now, I try to really avoid throwing policy at people because I think that it, when we talk about mental health and stuff like that, we're dealing with stuff that's really human and emotional. And when we throw policy around, and policy, I totally understand why it exists, but I'm not against abiding by policy. I think that people should abide by policy. I abide by policy. Um, for a bunch of really good reasons, like I might lose my job or someone might get hurt. You know, I'm not against policy. I'm just really pro explaining stuff. So I would never try and throw policy at someone, or at least I hope I wouldn't um, give someone an explanation that was its policy. Because I think people should know why the treatment that they're getting and often that they're paying for and in this situation that I would be paying for is the way it is and I think that that's how we can empower people within a system like that so anyway I I got the policy argument thrown at me I didn't go very far past that except that it was to do with safety policy and now that I'm on the other side of the mental health services fence and I read clinical notes and they comment very specifically on how someone looks which is part of how those kind of notes are often done having that conversation I was just like if you need me to come in so you can comment on the state of my dress or whether I look disheveled kind of want you to tell me that (laughs) which is quite um argumentative I don't know not mm, confronting maybe but I don't want to be treated in this way where I don't get to know what's happening to me anyway I just wanted to say thanks again for listening and love you guys and I hate that that's a really daggy thing to say because I do, I do mean that being able to connect with people in this way is really special and amazing and having people respond and write back is just holy shit balls cool. So thanks very much for doing that. Again, I'm off social media this month, but if you would like to get in contact, you can send me an email on at gmail.com. Thanks for listening very much. Bye-bye.